If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to knock out three more verses today. We'll start in verse 4 here in just a minute. Uh, a mystery lover took, uh, took his place in the theater for opening night, but his seat was way far in the back, back row Baptist, if you will. He's far from the stage. So this man, he calls the usher forward, usher to him, and he whispered, listen, I love a good mystery. I, 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 I've been looking forward to this night for, for so long. However, in order to really appreciate the play, I need to be farther forward. Because I want to notice all the clues and all the nuances. And so if there's any chance that you can get me closer to the stage, I'll give you a really good tip. Okay? And and so the usher nodded and said he would be back shortly. And and looking forward uh, to a large tip, the the usher began talking to his co-workers in the box office, hoping to find some closer seats. With just three minutes left before the play started, he found an open ticket at Will Call that was unclaimed. Returning to the man in the back of the theater, he whispered, follow me, follow me, I got you a better seat. The usher led the man to the second row and and proudly pointed out the empty seat in the middle. Thanks so much, said the theater goer. The seat is perfect. He then handed the usher a quarter. The usher looked down at that quarter, leaned over, and whispered, the butler did it. Now, most of us love a good mystery, especially when the revelation of the mystery comes at the appropriate time, right? Uh, There is a sense in which our walk with God is a mystery. And, And fortunately for us, God reveals that mystery to us in just the right time. That's the point Paul makes here as he continues writing his letter to this church in Ephesus. Let's read our passage this morning. It says in verse 4, when you read this. You can perceive my insight into the mystery of, the, of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Last week we discovered that when Paul uses the word mystery... It means something quite differently than than how we might use it today. In addition to the seven times that he's going to use that word in this letter to the Ephesians, Paul uses this word eight other times in his other letters. And in each case, the word mystery is describing something that God has revealed in the past that he is now choosing to reveal more fully now. Uh, The specific mystery that Paul is writing about here is the fact that the Jews and Gentiles have been brought together in the church through Jesus Christ. It is a mystery because it was revealed uh, in the past. There was a concept that it was revealed in part in the past. But had now been, but it had been fully made known through other generations. As we saw briefly last week, Paul and his fellow Jews were completely, uh, were not completely in the dark in regards to the Gentiles being blessed through the Jews. It wasn't a mystery that, that the Gentiles and the Jews would be together. 
We can trace that concept all the way back to Genesis 12 when, when God tells Abram, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the promise. And so it was always God's plan to bless all the peoples of the earth, including the Gentiles, through the offspring of Abraham, the Jews. But until Jesus came to the earth and he died on the cross and he rose up from the grave, there was no way that any human could have possibly understood how God was going to accomplish that. And so before Jesus, Paul and his fellow Jews did believe that the Gentiles could receive the promise of God, but only by becoming Jews and observing all the Jewish laws, including circumcision. It was always God's plan to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together, not, not, but not by requiring one group to convert to the other, but by creating an entirely new group of people called the church in which both groups would be identified not by the old labels of Jew and Gentile, but by the name of the one who made it possible for them to become one, Jesus. So we've already seen in chapter 2 as we've gone through Ephesians that Jesus broke down all the walls that, that divided us, that divided the Jews from the Gentiles. But Paul emphasizes once again in this passage just how completely Jesus has removed those barriers. In Jesus, the Jews and the Gentiles are equal partners. They have equal access to God because of what Jesus has done for them. Now, I think when I use the words Jew and Gentile, it might not resonate with some of you. It's important to understand what Paul is saying here because it affects all of us in this room. If you are not Jewish, you are a Gentile. You have to understand that. In, in the Bible, there are two people groups. There's Jews and there's everyone else. And, and, and so when the scripture refers to Gentiles, it's referring to uh, Christians. It's referring to Muslims, Mormons, Hindus, Catholics, Protestants, and atheists. It's everybody else. Everyone that is not Jewish is a Gentile. In this passage here, Paul describes three aspects of the mystery of joining together Jews and Gentiles in the church. And, and so this is what is revealed. We are heirs together. Paul seems to be thinking back to his prayer in chapter 1, where he prayed that his readers would know the riches of God's glorious inheritance to the saints. You'll remember that when we looked at the passage, we determined that inheritance that Paul wrote about uh, includes both the idea that we will one day experience the complete fulfillment of God, pouring all his spiritual blessings into our lives, and the idea that we are God's inheritance, that we are precious to him as his children. In Christ, both the Jews and the Gentiles share equally in the inheritance. If it wasn't for Jesus, that would be impossible. We would have to convert to Judaism. Men, you would have to be circumcised. Or if that happened to you in the hospital a long time ago when you were born, you would have to be cut again. Ow. In Jesus, we are co-heirs with the Gentiles. Men should thank God for that. All right? 
We get to receive the inheritance. We are also members of the body together. We're members of the church. The fact that Jews and Gentiles are members together in one body emphasizes not only that they share uh, in common, but, but their dependence on one another. In Romans chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul goes into much more detail about the body of Christ and how it functions as God intended when every member fulfills the role within the body. It's not just up to one person or the other. We all work together. That's the church. We also understand that we share in, together in the promise of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul had reminded his Gentile readers that before Jesus, that we had been foreigners to the covenant of the promise. In, in both of these verses, Paul uses the singular word of promise and not the plural as we might expect. You, you might remember, if you think back to those weeks, that when we looked at the verse in chapter 2, we determined that by using the singular, Paul was probably referring to the specific promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, a promise which has now been fulfilled for both the Jews and the Gentiles in Jesus. Now, this passage this morning is pretty easy to explain. I've, I've already done it. We could call it good. But the... Ch- uh, Touche, touche. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. The passage this morning. <laughs> but the challenge, Jim, as is usually the case, is how do we apply this to our life? How do we apply this passage to our life? Let me share with you four observations about this passage that we can take on our journey. Number one, we need to accept the mystery. Life is a mystery. We need to accept it. And you might be thinking, uh, tell me something I don't already know. Like, life is a mystery. And although we all know intellectually that life is a mystery, the fact is that many of us don't live our lives like we really believe that. Now, if you doubt that, just look at our culture Look at how many people are trying to take the mystery out of their lives by consulting psychics, tarot card readers, fortune tellers, fortune cookies. I know what you do. Horoscopes. But the Bible is clear that we can't know exactly what is going to happen in the future because that's the way God ordained it. James makes that very clear. He says in chapter 4 of his book, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We need to learn to embrace the mystery. I'm convinced that if we could really do that, if we could really understand that life is a mystery and we just need to worry about today and not tomorrow, it would eliminate so much frustration, so much worry in our lives. When we know that life is a mystery, we don't get so bent out of shape when things don't go exactly how we planned it. And we don't worry so much about what might happen today or what might happen tomorrow. Several years ago, Cena and I uh, made a trip up to New England Without our kids. It was fantastic. <clears throat> we had planned it for months. We booked some reservations. We, we outlined our route. We, we knew what states we were going to, to, to hit and where we wanted to stay. 
all those things that are involved in planning a, uh, a trip. We flew into New York and stayed there for a couple days. Then we took a train up to uh, Mystic, Connecticut. Now, the only reason, some of you will understand this, the only reason that we went to Mystic, Connecticut was because my wife had seen the movie Mystic Pizza and we had to go experience it. It's the only reason. But as we're planning our trip, we had always heard about Cape Cod. And so we decided to make that part of our journey as well. Our thought process was that, that we're coming all the way up from Texas, and so we might as well go to the end of the Cape and stay in a town called Provincetown. So we, we found an inn in Provincetown, and we booked it. It looked like a good place. It was close to the ocean. It was within walking distance to uh, several things that we could visit. So after we leave Mystic, we get in our rental car and we drive up to Provincetown and we go straight to the inn to check in. As the guy is taking us around like they do and and showing us what the thing has to offer, where we're going to eat breakfast, where our room is, everything that the inn has to offer, he, he casually mentions that this place is clothing optional. I must have missed that part in my research. (laughs) So needless to say, my six-month pregnant wife at the time and I were a little surprised that this was clothing optional. So if you're ever in uh, Provincetown, make sure you stay at Carpe Diem Guest House. Now, if, if we hadn't looked at life as a mystery, that day it could have been ruined. My sweet wife could have been mad at me for missing that little nugget of information when I was doing my research, but we just kind of went with the flow, and, and we had a very, very memorable time together. <laughs> we still laugh about it today because, unfortunately, that was not the first time that we had ended up in a situation similar to this one. I don't know the situation. Life is a mystery. Number two, God works on a need-to-know basis. God didn't reveal his entire plan to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together in Christ until his people were ready to understand and apply the truth. He revealed it in part. Certainly Abraham would have been completely unable to understand those details of God's plan since Jesus wouldn't even appear on the scene for a couple thousand years. So God revealed Enough for Abraham, the part of his plan that Abraham needed to know in order to be obedient to God and fulfill his plan for his life. God still works that way today. As much as as some of us think we want to know exactly what the future will hold, the fact is we couldn't handle it if God did it that way. So God reveals as much of his plan for us each day as we need in our lives to live out that day one at a time. Jesus made that quite clear in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 6 of Matthew, he says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is telling us that life is a mystery, and that God unfolds in our lives one day at a time. One day at a time. God reveals to us today what we need to live our lives today. And when tomorrow comes, he'll give us what we need then. Now, many businesses apply an inventory strategy called JIT, just in time. 
That strategy calls for them to obtain raw materials only when they are actually needed for production rather than storing large quantities uh, of items. The idea is that they can save on some costs and they don't have to uh, pay a bunch of storage fees for materials and and they can avoid uh, large outlays of cash to purchase supplies that that won't be needed for some time. God uses the just-in-time method when it comes to revealing his plan for our lives because he knows it would be unproductive to give us more than we need right now. Let me give you an example. Let's suppose that God knows that you are going to have a heart attack and die six months from now. If God were to reveal that to you right now, what do you think would happen in your life? Although there might be some benefit to knowing that right now, so that we can make our, put our financial uh, things in order, so we could you know, lay everything out. But the overall effect of knowing that right now could be devastating. You wouldn't be able to think of anything else for the next six months. You'd worry. You probably wouldn't be able to sleep very well at night. You'd probably begin to develop a fatalistic viewpoint. But by not knowing that right now, God would allow you to go on with your life and enjoy the last six months. And when that heart attack finally came, God would be there to carry you home, to be with him, and and take care of those that you left behind. The third thing we need to understand is that God will not violate his word. He will not violate his word. Verse 4 begins with this phrase, when you read this. When you read this. Now, although Paul's readers didn't realize it at the time, that, that they were reading right then and there, what would actually become part of the Bible. It would actually become part of God's word. And one of the main criteria that would be used to determine whether Paul's letter would, be, would in fact be uh, included in the Bible is how Paul wrote and, and, and what he wrote and how it lined up with the rest of Scripture. So as we've seen this mystery of the Jews and Gentiles being joined together in Christ is certainly consistent with the rest of the Bible. Now, we live in a culture today where many people claim to have some new or special revelation from God. Most of the cults that we are familiar with are are based on such claims. Even in the church, we have people who claim that God has spoken to them and given them some sort of new revelation. But the problem with this kind of new or special revelation at times is that it isn't always consistent with what the Bible teaches. And so those same, those, those same kinds of revelations were common in Paul's day too. And, and since Paul was concerned that the followers of Christ would be deceived by that kind of false teaching, he wrote some pretty strong words to, to warn against being deceived by false teaching. In Galatians chapter 1, he says, I am astonished, that's a strong word, that, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one he received, let him be accursed. 
So that revelation that Paul received from God about the mystery of the church was completely consistent with everything that God had previously revealed in his word previously. It was merely a further revelation of what God had already made known to his people and which had been recorded in the scriptures as we've clearly seen this morning. Today, God's primary, uh, revelation primarily comes through his word. It's true that as we read and as we study and meditate on the Bible, that, that God's Holy Spirit can help us better understand it. God's word can help us uh, apply it at what is written down there. But, but we can be assured that we will never have a revelation from God that is not consistent with what is already written down in his word. Let me give you an example of that. From time to time, I will have a young man, young woman, Christian man or woman, and they'll come to me and they are considering marrying someone who is not a believer. And I've even had them ask me to, to pray that God would reveal to them whether or not they should marry this person or that person. But, but there's really no need to do that because God has clearly revealed his will in that area in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when Paul writes that our believers are not to be yoked together with unbelievers. So I'm not going to pray for something that God has already revealed in his word. It, we have to go that way. God's revelation will not violate what he has already revealed in his word. And so we might try to manipulate it and we might not like that, but God will never violate his will, ever. Fourth thing that we gain is we need to do life in community. We need to do life in community. And he is, as he has consistently done through Ephesians, he once again emphasizes that in living out this life of mystery, we are not alone. We can't do it alone. God intends for us to live out that life within the community of believers. We have to do it together. We, we've already seen how Paul even comes up with some new words to emphasize this idea of being together with other followers of Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not going to belabor uh, this point since we've already discussed it several times throughout our journey in Ephesians. But let me just say that there is absolutely no biblical precedent for trying to live out this mystery of life on our own. You cannot do it on your own. God intends for all of his children to be connected together with others in the body of Christ that we call the church. Life is a mystery. One in which God reveals that mystery at just the right time. A mystery that is consistent with what God has already revealed in his word. And a mystery that is to be lived out in community with other believers. If you struggle with fear or anxiety, I hope you will take this to heart. What do you need to get through today? What do you see in his word that can bring you peace? Proverbs says in chapter 15, to get all the advice that you need in order to succeed. Find other people who have walked the path that you were on right now and ask them how they did it. Listen, this goes against everything that I want to do on my own. Naturally, 
I want to figure things out on my own and I want to do it my own way. But I've learned that a wise man, according to Proverbs, is one who listens to counsel. Life is a mystery. So, so even when, I, when, when, when things don't go the way I think they should turn out, when things don't go a certain way, when I embrace that, I'm not surprised when they don't. And when they don't turn out the way I want, I trust the Lord had other plans. He revealed to me today how to get through today. There are still Jews today who have animosity towards Christians because they think that we should convert to Judaism. When we remove God's word and his wisdom from our lives, that's what's left. Animosity and fear and anxiety and a life that has no hope. If you struggle with fear, you struggle with anxiety, you you hate the fact that life is a mystery, I'm going to encourage you strongly that you understand his word, that you walk and and you do life in community. There, there, There are people in this room who are further down the journey than you, that that will help you along the way. But you have to ask, right? You have to seek counsel. Like, Like think about what you're anxious about. Think about what's troubling you. Think about what you're fearful of. And, and, and get in community, get in a discipleship relationship, get in a small group. D- don't, don't bolt out of here as soon as we say amen and, and find somebody that you can connect with. We, we spend hours and hours and hours as a staff and as an elder board of figuring out ways to get you connected because it is so valuable for the growth of your spiritual life to do this thing together. Life's a mystery. Life is hard. Do we agree to that? Raising children is hard. Having, having, uh, being in a marriage is hard. Walking with somebody who is sick is hard. Changing jobs is hard. Looking towards the future is hard. We need as much counsel as we can if we're going to be considered wise. We do that together. Amen? So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing another song, just like we do every week. And we are going to have time for response. Now, again, I don't have that planned out, and I don't know what that's going to look like for you. I'm not asking you to do anything except be obedient to what the Lord is calling you to do. I'm going to ask the prayer team to be up front. And if you are struggling with fear, if you are struggling with anxiety, if you struggle with the fact that these things are unknown, then will you come receive ministry today? Will you come receive prayer today? And will you ask, how do I get involved? This is what I'm struggling with. How how can I get help? And I guarantee you that we can connect you to somebody. I guarantee you. I don't throw out guarantees very often. That's a Daniel Reese guarantee. You can be helped today. You can begin a new life today. You just have to walk in obedience. Let's pray. Father, I pray, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. I pray that your Holy Spirit will 
uh, just be poured out on us right now. I pray, God, that we will be sensitive to hearing your voice. Uh, I pray for the person right now who is struggling with anxiety and even struggling right now as I'm speaking with even thinking about getting out of their chair and asking for help. I pray, God, that you minister to their heart. I pray, God, that we will use this time to understand and trust you that, that we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know that you're already there. We don't know what five years looks from now, but we know that you're already there. So, God, I pray that you will give us the faith to trust you today. I pray, God, that you will bring peace. I pray that you will remove anxiety from this room, that you will remove fear from this room. And I pray, God, that your voice will be heard louder than anything else today. So, Father, as we walk towards obedience, I pray, God, that people find healing. I pray that people find peace. And so I thank you for Jesus, the one that unites us all together. The one that brings hope. The one that brings peace. The one that brings contentment in today. So Father, I pray that you move. In your name we pray. Amen.